winer and you know people would get up there and talk about how this year you know and all of these things and uh, a peculiar thing happened I always wondered about Lord where's the revival <laughs> where's the all the people and like the stadiums full and just this massive harvest of people that are going to get saved and where is that Lord because personally I wasn't seeing it and I didn't see our church just like experience this great influx of of people to disciple and all that. And uh, over the past few years, um, I've heard similar things preached in our church here. I mean, I've even preached some of those messages, actually. And uh, so I want to say to you this morning that if you're one of those people like I've been that have thought, well, Lord, I don't know, I'm kind of getting burned out on all this revival talk because it seems like a bunch of hype. You know, it seems like something that you hope for that never happens. It's like hoping for Christmas, but it never gets here. You know, and uh, I just want to encourage you this morning that if you read the New Testament, there's oftentimes places where Paul seems to talk about the return of Christ as if, it, as if it's going to happen the next day, you know, or in the next few weeks, or certainly by the end of their lifetime, you know. And so, obviously, Christ did not return for the second time during their lifetime. But the message is still the same to prepare. Prepare. Prepare the way. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And, you know, we've heard some pretty substantial prophetic voices in the church this year preach this message, like Dutch Sheets. We shared this at the beginning in January. He had this really profound message, and a big part of that was a great revival that's going to happen. I've heard Bob Jones talk about this, and Bob is, you know, known for really having some tremendous visitations with the Lord and just some tremendous things. And, you know, I've heard him and others talk about literally um, athletic stadiums not being large enough to contain stuff, you know, that God's going to do. Um, I've, you know, I've heard him talk about there being three really major epicenters of this revival that are going to occur in this nation. And uh, a lot of those tend to imply that the Charlotte metro area is going to be could be one of those areas. We'll proclaim that for Raleigh Durham as well, bro. But uh, anyway, you know, that the Lord is really going to move. And so it's like, there, okay, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's this thing in me, this, you know, this cry that's probably in all of us. It's like, yeah, let's do it, Lord, go. Just get pumped up and you want to have a spiritual pep rally and yeah, revival, you know, let's cry out for revival and be on all these moves around the country like Lou Ingalls deal the cause and get all pumped up. But then there's a, little thing in the back of your mind saying, you know, Matthew, haven't you been excited about that before? What happened then? You know, where's the move? You know, that little voice back there. And I just want to crush that thing this morning. I just ask you to, to literally take dominion over that thought that's from the pit of hell this morning, I believe. And uh, because that is a doubt, that's a seed of doubt that the enemy can use in the back of our heads to really keep us from breaking through. Because I'm going to tell you something, the last days are upon us. Right? The end times are coming. I mean, the beginning was the beginning and the end will be the end. It's, gonna, it's coming. And we're headed towards that, I believe, rapidly. And so there will be an end times harvest. A great revival. Okay? And I believe we're hearing some things about some of the tools that God's going to use to usher that thing in. So, I just asked you this question this morning. Um, if not now, when? And 
If not you, then who? Ask yourself that question this morning as I'm delivering this message. If not now, then when? And if not you, then who else is it going to be? I just so happen to believe that maybe God wants to give us a chance. You know, not that we have to do anything to make it happen, but God's going to give us great opportunities. And that's one thing I want to I want to just share with you a little bit about this morning. Um, but before I do, I want to tell you this uh, experience that I had this past week on Monday that was pretty intense, <laughs> really. Um, I had told Andy last week that I wanted to. We had been talking about some issues in in his life, and I was like, Andy, I want to take you to this great mountain in North Carolina that's one of my favorite views in the world, you know, that I've been to. And uh, I want us to just go up there and let's just have a day, have a great time, and just spend time with the Lord and soak in His presence literally closer to the heavens and, and just have a great time. And um, it's, it's an incredible hike, a great view. And So anyway, sure enough, we took off Monday morning and uh, we went up I-40 just north of Morganton in the Pisgah National Forest. Uh, if you've ever been up in the Linville Gorge Wilderness area, it's just a a really cool place, but uh, there's a mountain up there called Hawks Bill, like the bill of a hawk, Hawks Bill Mountain. And, um, I've been up there numerous times, probably 15 times I've been up there over the past 10 years or so because it's just a spectacular place. So we make the hike up the mountain. It takes about, I don't know, 30 or so minutes to get up there. And we break through. You break out of the woods into this completely rock-like summit on this mountain. And you have a 360 degree panoramic view that overlooks Linville Gorge. And it's called Hawksbill because of the way the mountain is shaped like the bill of a hawk. But there's also a lot of times uh, hawks circling up there. And a lot of times you can look down on the hawks as they're circling because you, so you literally have like a bird's eye view. It's just, it's just incredible. So anyway, it's one of those perfect spring days in North Carolina. You know, blue skies, totally unlike today. Um, about 65 degrees up there. Just awesome. And we're just having the best time. And we get up there and Andy's like, oh man, this is awesome. You know, we're just enjoying the view. And we're walking around on these rocks looking at the cliffs and everything. And uh, then Andy said something that, to be honest with you, in all the times I've been up there, I, the thought has never even crossed my mind to do this. Okay? <laughs> Andy turns to me and he goes, dude, just like that, dude. He looks at the gorge. He goes, we got to go down there. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, Andy, do you know how far that is? <laughs> He's like, oh, dude, it's not that far. It's probably like, you know, two miles or something. We can get down there in no time. And for some unbeknownst reason to me, still to this day, I looked at him and said, let's do it. <laughs> so we take off like two 10-year-old kids on adventure trekking through the woods. And we get down, back down kind of the path to the... Um, final ascent of the mountain that we were on and there's a little crossroads there where three different paths go off in a different way I said Andy I bet if we take this path here we'll go right along the base of that cliff that we were just on top of and we can kind of just follow that down into the gorge he's like yeah sounds good so we take off down sure enough that path went right along these sheer rock cliffs here it was just awesome we're just looking at these cliffs as we're hiking along just having a blast and uh but then all of a sudden the path ran out <laughs> and there was no more trail or anything. And so we're just standing there looking at this slope like this, and there's no, and we're like, okay, uh, 
that looks like pretty open woods. Let's go for it. We'll make our own way. So we're literally like trailblazing down the side of this mountain, climbing over rocks and down trees and all these limbs and all this stuff. And Andy's going down there like a mountain goat, just like crazy. And I'm kind of like, oh, my legs don't fail me. Now, all I could think of the whole time was, this is great now, but what about when we go back up? You know, get a look behind you. And, uh, but uh, so anyway, we had hiked about probably 45 minutes. And I started to get a little concerned. I'd heard stories of people getting lost in the wilderness. <laughs> people had told me, you know, it's a cool place, but make sure you got a guide, somebody that knows where they're going. And, you know, because it's, it's wilderness. I mean, you can get lost there. And so I was having these, you know, news headlines flashing through local pastors lost in the woods or something, you know. And so we take off down there. I actually had a compass with me. I'm checking the direction, make sure I know how to get back. <laughs> All this stuff. And, uh, I'm like, Andy, I don't know, man. We've been going quite a while. He's like, no, we can't turn around now. He's like, we're almost there, Matthew. We've almost reached the prize. We're going to get there. There's going to be an awesome river down there. I'm going to go swimming. It's going to be great. Don't turn back now. But if you want to, we... I was like, no, nah, let's just keep going. So sure enough, we, we press on through, digging our way through the woods, and we come to this... Uh, rhododendron, you know, is a common plant up there in the mountains. It's rhododendron thicket. And it's such a thick overgrowth of rhododendron, there seemed to be no way to get through it. So Andy's like, man, I don't know what we're going to do from here. And I was like, well, there's a little opening right there. Let's just kind of push our way through. So <laughs> sure enough, we're like climbing our way. We're like, we're starting machete when we need it. You know, we're like hacking our way through this thicket. And lo and behold, it really wasn't very wide. You know, it wasn't very thick. We got through it pretty easily compared to what we thought it could have been. And uh, then at that point, we heard the river. Uh, have you ever been hiding somewhere? You hear the roar of like white water. Ah, oh, the river, you know, so we're pumped. Let's, let's keep going. So we press on, and sure enough, a few minutes later, after about an hour and 15 minutes, there's this incredible river down there in the basin of this uh, ravine, this gorge. It's got like white water, and we're jumping around on the rocks, and Andy's ripping his shirt and his shoes and socks off, and sticks his foot in the water, and that was as far as he got. He's like, Oh, I'm not going swimming in that. It was like probably 40 degree water, you know. But we had a great time and we hung out for a while and then we had to go back. <laughs> it took us two hours to hike back up the side of that mountain and get back to the landing where we started from. But then we drove into Morganson and got us a nice steak dinner and, you know, oohed and out over our accomplishment and the thrill of <laughs> actually getting there and, and, and back in one piece. But it was, it was a tremendous experience and, uh, you know, it kind of blew my whole vision for what the day was going to be because, you know, Andy's just not kind of a sit still and seek God kind of guy. <laughs> you know, he's like got to be doing something. And, you know, I always like to just go out there and hang out and watch the birds, look at the sky and hear the Lord. And, and, uh, but instead, we were active the whole time in much pain. My legs are still aching today <laughs> from last Monday. But... um. The Lord showed me that, and, and the whole time I was kind of asking the Lord, I was like, okay, God, I know there's got to be a, you, you must be speaking to me about something here. You know, what, what, what is it? What are you trying to say? And one of the things that I've gotten personally from a lot of Byron's messages and a lot of the words and stuff that we've heard is that in order to live in the supernatural, in order to live from heavenly places, 
one of the real key ways to do that is to pay attention to the ordinary things that are going on around you. Because sometimes, a lot of times, the ordinary are just not quite as ordinary as we might think. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Um, For example, we might just think, well, the way to hear God is through the still, small voice, which is very true. But at the same time, sometimes God's trying to get our attention through ordinary circumstances or situations or signs or whatever. He's trying to speak to us. So I want to submit to you, here's what I felt like the Lord was showing me like three or four days after we went on this little journey. I felt like it was a prophetic journey in a sense. And um, at the risk of sounding a little too trippy to you, (laughs) I feel like it was this. The Lord showed me that Andy and I went on this trip, this journey, kind of as a representation of River Life, being a couple of the pastors in the church. And as we were making our way through down the mountain, we were having to literally make our own trail because there wasn't a trail. And if you've been around here for a while, you know over the past couple of years it's kind of felt that way for us spiritually and physically. You know, two services and changed our name two years ago and all this stuff. We've often felt like, you know, we're in new territory now. This doesn't feel quite the way it did and a little uncomfortable at times. And so that's, that was a part of it that he um, gave me the analogy for with this. And then right as we were about to reach our prize, the final destination of the river, we hit the obstacle. And the obstacle, of course, was the rhododendron thicket. And um, I felt like the Lord was saying that as a church, as we press down this path that He's taken us, we're going to hit some large, what seemed to be some large obstacles to overcome. But if we will press through We'll, we'll, we'll get to where we're trying to get to. And where we're trying to get to, we renamed our church prophetically River Life. And we made it to the river. And the Lord is going to get us to that place of jumping in the river, of resting in the river, of swimming in the river. You know, that whole thing about the river from Scripture. I'm not going to go on about that. And then as we were coming back up the mountain... This large, we're not sure exactly what it was because we didn't get a good look at it, but a large bird flew overhead like, you know, in between the sun and us where it made this huge shadow. I was like, whoa, what was that? I don't know if it was a golden eagle or, you know, there's some big birds up in those neck of the woods. But uh, the Lord said, when you soar in heavenly places, I give you the top-down perspective. And when those obstacles come, you can see from there that they're not as large as they look on the ground. So I just want to encourage us that if part of what we're hearing preached and we're receiving from the Lord is to live in those heavenly places, that as we do that, when these issues come into your life as an individual and these obstacles come into our path as a church, and you know we're facing some obstacles now with some certain things, that if we'll see from the heavenly realm, we'll see that if we just press through it's not as bad as we may think. Okay, so I just want to encourage you in that, and uh, I believe that that will be true. So, as far as this coming revival goes, I feel like the Lord was speaking to me um, recently, and I was reading a book. It was it's actually an autobiography by this guy named Todd Bentley, and uh, I don't know you may be familiar with Todd, but uh, he's a guy about my age and. Um, what really just spoke to me personally was we got saved right at the same, almost the same month, in 1993. And uh, it's just an amazing story. I mean, 
you name it, he did it. He was one of those kids on that you see maybe on a street corner somewhere all strung out and just thinking in the back of your mind, okay, well, I know you can reach people, but not that guy, you know? <laughs> and uh, to make a long story short about his life, he now has a worldwide healing uh, ministry, and it's just incredible how the Lord has used him. But uh, there's one little paragraph I wanted to read to you because it kind of leads in to what I, the point that I really wanted to make. And in this paragraph, he's talking about uh, the spirit of Elijah and Moses. Okay. Hold on, guys. Mom's almost done. So uh, in, in here he says, he talks about Matthew 17, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Father sent Moses and Elijah as a prophetic fulfillment and to show that Jesus was who He said He was. And He says, I believe as we near the second coming of Christ, God will again confirm the church as His voice in the land. He will do this by bringing the spirit and power of Moses and Elijah upon His end-time army to release forerunners, to prepare the way of the Lord and to prepare the nations for God. He quotes the Scripture from Malachi. And then he says, it will be a movement of the prophetic power evangelism and healing that will turn the nations to God. I guess we're going to have a little worship here. We didn't know it. but um, Some nations will turn to God even in a single day. He's prophesying. That hour is at hand and you need to reach out for this. The supernatural needs to be natural in our lives. It shouldn't be rare in the body of Christ. I believe that those who are hungry to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit will be filled. It's not about who you are or your righteousness. Go back there and play with Uncle Addy. Kind of awkward, but you probably, you probably know. Yeah, it's all part of the message. This was planned, and <laughs> it's an illustration. Actually, it might be, man. <laughs> you never know. What's the Lord trying to say? But uh, <laughs> bless you, Gaby. We'll play later. Uh, that hour, the hour is at hand, and you need to reach out for this. Um, I believe that those who are hungry to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit will be filled. It's not about who you are. This is important. Hear this. Think about Moses. It's not about who you are, your righteousness. It's not about your ability. It's about your availability. It's about the time we live in and a mighty God who has chosen to work through weak human vessels. Zephaniah says the Spirit and the anointing have the power and the wisdom. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And what really stood out to me was this thing about Moses. Personally, I've always really enjoyed the biography of Moses in the book of Exodus. I think he's a pretty cool guy. It makes for an interesting reading and study and spiritual applications. I love hearing people preach about Moses. Um, and uh, we hear a lot in the church today about Elijah. You know, the spirit of Elijah, the forerunner spirit. There's a website called the Elijah List that probably some of you read. and So all this stuff about Elijah... But I'm like, Lord, how does Moses... I mean, he was on the mount with Elijah during the transfiguration. How does the spirit of Moses fit into this? And how can we get in on that? And there was a few things that he showed me there, and that's what I just want to share with you 
real briefly now. Uh, first of all, I was thinking this, and these first two points just kind of lay the groundwork for where I want to go with this. Satan tried to kill Moses' generation through Pharaoh, just as I believe the numbers are somewhere around 40 million of the people of my generation, born after 73, I was born in 74, have been thrown into the river of convenience in the abortion holocaust that we've all had the horror of being a part of. Moses' generation had a tremendous destiny of deliverance upon it. The enemy doesn't know everything, but he was up to a suspicion that there was something about Moses' generation that he wanted to destroy. And so, as you know the story probably, the Pharaoh told them to kill the babies, the midwives to kill the baby boys, and then when they didn't do that, he said, all right, throw them in the Nile River, and so on and so forth. And then, you know, Moses was miraculously delivered from that and set apart and all of that. But, and now our generation, I believe, one of the reasons, you know, because the Bible says he uses, he works all things together for good even though 40 million innocent people have been slaughtered, it's amazing that God can use that somehow, right? And what He's using that for is to say, if the enemy has tried to steal, He will steal no longer. My generation is going to be the end times generation. We're going to rise up. We're going to, we're going to see the kingdom of God come in an unprecedented move of the Holy Spirit that will come with power, with healings, deliverance, prophetic ministry that I think we're being trained for right now. I think that's why there's been such an emphasis on the apostolic and the prophetic in the church. And now, you know, in our church, if you haven't been here, the Lord's really been speaking to us about healing and how, you know, Jesus sent out His disciples and just told every ordinary Christian, you should be raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Todd Bentley's story is, hey, I didn't know any better. I'd never been to church. I got saved, read the Bible, and believed it. And I just went out and started doing it. <laughs> now, for us church folks like me who've grown up in the church, that's a little bit a paradigm that I don't quite understand. Because, you know, we, our religious spirit, we kind of push that stuff aside and say, well, you know, the Bible didn't really mean that. Jesus didn't really mean for you to raise the dead. Well, what do you mean it didn't mean for me to raise the dead? I mean, it's in here, right? I can't, I can't. My theology can't sweep that aside. Even though if we were all honest, to one degree or the other, we've had to sweep it aside because our everyday lives have not quite fit that paradigm. Now, I don't say that to say shame on us or whatever, but I want to encourage us that I believe the Lord is going to bring us into a season to where if you want to, you know, you don't have to, the Lord will give us an opportunity to see miraculous things happen on a regular basis. Anybody want to be a part of that? I kind of would like to, if the Lord will let me. So, if you're like me, hey, we don't have to get all hyped up about it, but just say, let it be, Lord. Amen. We'll let it happen. But show us how you need to change our thinking from this direction to this direction, or that we can go in a new way that maybe has been holding us back. Because sometimes I think, well, if I keep going and believing the way I've been going, I don't know if I'm going to quite get there. Maybe there's just a few adjustments that need to be made. 
So that was one comparison I saw about Moses' generation. Or the second one was, you know, that Moses was adopted as royalty, adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter and grew up in that house. But then he was hunted down as a murderer and totally rejected. You know, he had to run away and flee to a whole other nation or a whole other group of people. And similarly to us, the Bible says in 1 Peter that you're a, we're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. You know, that's who we are. We have been adopted into the family of God. We have a kingdom of God, spiritual DNA that is a part of us. And, uh, but the world doesn't like it. So just like Moses was rejected, sometimes we can be rejected by the spirit of the age. If not physically by people, by that spirit that wants to reject us and hinder us. The third thing I saw was that Moses had to go through a waiting slash preparation period. You have to imagine that Moses, when he went to hang out with the Midianites and he ended up marrying the guy's daughter and shepherding, you know, hanging out with sheep and all of that, he might have been pretty discouraged. I think I would be if I was him. You know, here he was in this prestigious position. He probably at times maybe thought in Egypt, man, I see how God's doing this. He's brought me miraculously into this royal family. And then, I mean, kind of like Joseph, maybe, he thought, well, I'm going to get into somehow a position of authority and God's going to... No, it happened the opposite. <laughs> how many people have had dreams about how God was going to do stuff in your life and then the opposite happened? You're like, wait a second. <laughs> that didn't quite seem like the way we had it planned. <laughs> and, uh, but the Lord had a different plan for Moses. It was a plan of waiting. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he was there for 40 years, wasn't he? With the Midianites. 40 years? That's a long time, man. I mean, can you imagine just sitting there for 40 years, questioning yourself, not knowing what your place is? And, uh, which, by the way, Byron, I noticed also he was a shepherd during that time, which spiritually is like a pastor. You know, the Lord was training him to pastor people by pastoring sheep. So he was hanging out there getting a physical preparation for, I'm sure leading those Israelites after the exodus through the wilderness seemed like herding cats rather than sheep <laughs> at times. But uh, he, uh, he was being prepared. And I just want to encourage you to look for a season of waiting in your lives. I feel like the Lord really is preparing us right now. And I feel like He wants to teach you how to soak teach you how to soak in the presence of God. And there's a purpose for that. It's a preparation to receive an anointing that will take you so far beyond where you think that you could ever go. And I'm really serious about that. Okay, because, for example, you take my friend Jeremy here. Um, Jeremy is a great guy, and I know he knows that God has tremendous potential on him. But naturally, we all place certain limitations on ourselves. And probably Jeremy is no different from the rest of us. And he has placed, you know, he has these ideas in his hand of how God will use him and what he'll do and these things and this things and all that. But I want to say that, Jeremy, the Lord is going to do so far beyond that than you can imagine. You'll be like in a place and like, how in the world did I get here? How am I doing this, Lord? But the key is to make the choice to find the secret place. Find the secret place where you can soak, where the anointing can just become a part of you. And uh, Todd talks about this 
in his book, uh, there was this guy named Jack Coe. Isn't that his name? That was a part of the 1940s and 50s tremendous healing movement that came through the United States. And uh, one time Jack had finished a healing crusade where all these people had been healed. And the Lord said to him, Jack, now I'm going to pour out the healing anointing on you. He was like, Lord, I just finished a healing crusade. What are you talking about? I've already healed, you know, you're already healing people through me. He goes, no, Jack, you see, what you've been doing so far is you've been using your faith and uniting your faith, you know, a lot of times with the people that you're praying for. And I've been, you know, I've been hearing, you know, I've been healing people through that. But he said there's an anointing that's so far beyond that that you could literally walk even into a room and people can get healed. You could, you know, whether they're saved, unsaved, or whatever, they'll get, they can't help it, they'll be healed because of the manifest presence of God that can be upon you. So I, anyway, make a long story short, that's sort of a measure that Jack received and that Todd has also received from the Lord. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it scripturally, the Bible says that Peter's shadow healed people. You know, so if you think about it, people weren't running to Peter, so I've got this problem, pray for me. He just walked past them, boom, they get healed. You know, and uh, so if it's a, I want to ask, how big is you want your shadow to be? <laughs> I'm thinking if God's behind me, my shadow could be a lot bigger than six or seven feet. <laughs> I mean, how about like half a mile shadow? I'd like to be able to walk in within half a mile, people just experience the presence of God or whatever measure God wants to do that. Anybody like to experience that? I mean, this seems outlandish, doesn't it? Oh, come on, Matthew. Let's, let's get a little far-fetched here. Yeah, well, maybe. But, you know, the Bible says, come to Him like little children. I can tell Gabe anything. He'll believe it. <laughs> so, I just want to come into my daddy's house like that. Amen? Um, let me finish with this. One thing that I've realized in my life, and I'm just 32, so I got a long ways to go. But I've realized that every everything that I have in my life, whether physical, spiritual, whatever, that is truly good and lasting, has come from God, completely from Lord, from the Lord. Despite myself, I've done very little to get it, to go after it. Um, and you know, it, it can be different things from for different people, but some of those examples for me are, well, first of all, being safe. Because at the moment that the Lord enlightened me, I was the furthest thing from seeking God. I mean, you know, I didn't have this gradual thing like Perry was talking about with these people. I was just out there getting high and partying and having a great time, and the Lord was like, no, that's not for you. You ain't going that route. And just completely delivered me instantaneously from all kinds of demonic stuff going on. Literally, I was on my way to a mental hospital. Okay, so I don't have time to go into that whole story, but I did nothing. God did it all. For some reason, to this day, I'm like, Lord, why did you choose me and not and my all, all my other friends and people I know are still there? You know, I, I can't figure that out. And then, you know, stuff like being in ministry here. I mean... <laughs> When I came to this church, as Doug remembers, I was at best like a um, mediocre Christian. <laughs> I mean, I was just kind of 
overcoming some major setbacks in my life and was just really not in a good place, really struggling with some stuff. And one day Byron comes to me and goes, Matthew, I think the Lord wants you to be the youth pastor here. Whoa, what are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, it's not all that simple. The Lord was doing some stuff through me. But, but I'm just saying that to say that I did nothing. The Lord put me here sovereignly. Has anybody ever experienced anything like that in your life? I'm sure all the older folks are nodding their head for sure. So um, be encouraged by that. And Moses did nothing to become this great hero that, he's, that he is in the Bible. He did nothing. He killed a guy <laughs> and then ran and then was hanging out with these people but the one thing that I see that Moses did is when God initiated something with him in a very, a pretty natural setting, Moses chose to respond to God. And see, that's the lesson that we need to get here from Moses' life. And for the sake of time, I just want to give you this one thing. In Exodus 3, starting in verse 1, you know the story about the burning bush? It says in verse 2, I think, that the angel, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Now, from my understanding and some good Bible teaching that I've heard, is that in that region of the world, in the desert climate, it was not all that unusual for a bush to spontaneously kind of combust and burst and you know, catch on fire and burn up. But what was unusual about this bush was that it caught on fire, but it didn't stop. It kept burning. Okay, so notice also that Moses, as he's kind of over here hanging out with his sheep, scooping up the sheep dung or whatever, you know, and uh, trying to keep them all together. The Lord did not call to Moses from this burning bush and say, Moses, look over here, I'm burning in a bush. Come over here, Moses. No. Moses saw something unusual in this somewhat ordinary situation. He looked and he's like, hmm, look there, there's a spontaneously combusting bush that's burning up. Yep, sure enough. All right. You know, getting back. Wait a second, that thing's still burning? That bush isn't that big. And listen to what the Bible says in verse 4. It says, when the Lord saw... No, no, I'm sorry. In verse 3 he says, oh, I'll go over there and see this strange sight. And so, why the bush does not burn up? And then it says in verse 4, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, then God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses! And you know the rest of the story. He unfolds what the plan will be. So you see, he's in this situation. He sees a very ordinary thing. He sees that it, there's something extraordinary about it. He goes over here to check it out. And sure enough, that's when the Lord speaks to him and reveals something to him. So, remember what I was saying about the Lord showing me that His voice often comes in what we think are just ordinary things and we can very easily brush aside and like, eh, is this a bush burning? Let's move on. i got water to get my sheep to. You understand what I'm saying? Really get that in your spirit this morning. Look for those opportunities when God's trying to speak to you. Now, if you're like me, I've gotten a little turned off at times by people I've known who have gotten a little trippy on it. 
You know, it's like they see any series of numbers and they're like, oh, this means like, you know, these numbers mean this and da 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 da. I'm like, dude, maybe it's just some numbers. You know, I mean, why you got to get so, you know, weirded out about it or something? But remember that an abuse of something of God doesn't mean that it's not legitimately a way that God works, right? Okay, so just because people may take things and get a little in the flesh about stuff doesn't mean that God doesn't want to speak to you and I in that way. So if you're like me and you've kind of had that little, those little seeds of doubt about all that, I'm just asking you this morning to change your mind about that. You know, Byron's been talking about repent, change your thinking, and begin to look for God to speak to you. Especially if you're a person who feels like, oh, the Lord never speaks to me. You know what I mean? People are talking about all these open visions and seeing angels. And Hey, listen, man, here's where I'm coming from. I've never seen an angel before in my life. I mean, that I know of. I, I've never had like some open vision. or I've never had any of that. I'm, right now, I'm just praying that I'll have some cool dreams at night. You know, that I can, that'll actually happen and I'll make the connection. Because Byron always dreaming, man. He has a dream every night that's from the Lord, I think. You know? It's just something the Lord gives Byron quite a bit. And he's like, I had this dream, and here's what... And I'm like, man, I ain't got no dreams. You know, what's going on? You start to feel a little less spiritual or something. That's the enemy. Don't feel less spiritual. Just continue on about what you're doing and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, teach me how. Tutor me in the supernatural. Show me how to see these things like Moses. Okay? So I just want to encourage you with that this morning. And just remember that God always initiates. That should be of great comfort to you this morning. You really don't have to do anything except for when God initiates to choose. To choose Him. Choose and go check it out. See what God might want to say to you. And it could change, it could change everything in your life, in the great revival that's coming. Let's get in on that. Amen? Anybody with me this morning? i got a lot here, but I'm going to save that. Maybe Byron will let me do a part two. So, uh, i tell you what. Here's how we'll end this morning. Just very simple, okay? I'm not going to ask you to come up or whatever, but if you um, feel like, you know, all this talk about the supernatural and living in heavenly places and all this, if you feel like you really like for the Lord to teach you about how to practically live there. I want you to just stand up. And we're just going to pray a simple prayer. You know, probably no lightning from heaven is going to strike us. <laughs> I say probably, it could. There's probably not going to be this dark cloud that descends in the room, even though I'm open to that. <laughs> you, know, you may not fall down, but you know what? It's the simple things. The simple childlike prayers of faith that I just happen to believe God can really come in on. But after we pray this prayer, change your mind about it. Walk out of this building this morning and throughout the week, look for the supernatural. Okay, I just challenge you, look for it. Give it one week at least. So Lord, here we are this morning. And we just proclaim to You, God, that if You're doing it, we want to be a part of it. If you're saying it, we want to hear it. If you're doing it in front of us, we want to see it. Lord, and uh, I pray right now that you would grant us the gift of spiritual eyes and spiritual ears. 
It's just that. To hear what the Holy Spirit is saying, Lord, that we would not miss the day of our visitation. That when revival comes, Lord, we wouldn't miss it because we can't see what in the world You're doing. Lord, I pray that the Spirit of Moses would be our portion. We ask You for that right now by faith, Lord. We take hold of it. We reach into the heavenlies and we pull it down. That, Lord, we as Your children and as Your people possess every part of Your kingdom that anybody else has or has had in the past, Lord. We just thank You for it. We we thank You for encouraging us, us with it this morning, Lord. And everybody agrees. Amen.